Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wednesday Night Prayer Meeting, a podcast about the history of jazz told from the perspective of someone who's been piecing it together one record at a time over the course of 20-odd years digging through record bins. From Hermosa Beach, California, I'm your host, Frank, and that was Night in Tunisia, recorded in 1946 in Los Angeles by the Charlie Parker Septet, with Charlie Parker on alto sax, Miles Davis on trumpet, Lucky Thompson on tenor sax, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Arvin Garrison on guitar, Vic McMillan on bass, and Roy Porter on drums. This week's episode is the hundredth of these podcasts that I've put together, and by a happy coincidence, this past week was the hundred-year anniversary of Charlie Parker's birth, so I hope you enjoy this next hour or so of some of the incredible revolutionary music that Parker made over the course of his brief career. I know that I tend to throw around the word revolutionary on this podcast, but it really is true of Charlie Parker. I'd be hard-pressed to name a musician in the 20th century who had a greater impact on the music that followed. It took me a while to come around to Parker's music. I mostly got exposed to jazz by picking up random albums and used record shops. And although Charlie's career was quite short, once he got popular, virtually every note that he played on his saxophone was recorded from the audience and released in all sorts of configurations and countless bootlegs and the quality often borders on unlistenability. And the first few Charlie Parker albums I came across were just that, barely listenable. One day, though, I came across a sleeveless copy of a fan club release of some Charlie Parker tunes on a label called Charlie Parker Records with a Palos Verdes, California address on the label. Palos Verdes being just two towns over from where I grew up, I couldn't resist picking it up. And one of the tunes on it was that version of Night in Tunisia that I just played, and it blew my mind. Especially the flurry of notes in the alto break before the solo, it made a bird believer out of me in a hurry. Charlie Parker, or Yard Bird, or Bird as he came to be known, was born on August 29, 1920 in Kansas City, Kansas. He started playing the saxophone around the age of 11, and he continued to play and study and became enthralled with the bustling Kansas City jazz scene. His earliest experience at performing publicly is the stuff of legends. After establishing himself as a constant presence around the Reno club scene, Parker finally got the nerve to get up on the bandstand during an after-hours jam session and try his hand at soloing. The story goes that he got so completely lost in the tune that he didn't hear drummer Joe Jones' cymbal ding signal to cut out, and Jones finally resorted to throwing his cymbal down to the floor, ending the bird's first flight with the clang of metal and the uproarious laughter of the audience and other musicians. Humiliated, Bird vowed to devote himself to study and practice to make himself the kind of player that could wow the crowd. He describes his approach to practice in an interview with Paul Desmond. There was this uh, violent change, really. After all, up until this time, uh, the way to play the alto sax was the way that Johnny Hodges and Benny Carter played alto. And this seems to be an entirely different conception, not just of how to play that particular horn, but music in general. Yeah, how to play any horn. I, that, I don't think there's any answer to speaking, the speaking, John. Yeah, that, that's what I said in, when I first started talking. That's my first conception, man. That's the way I thought it should go. And I still do. I mean, of course, it could stand much improvement. Most likely in another 25, maybe 50 years, some youngster will come along and take the style and really do something with it, you know? But... I mean, ever since I've ever heard music, I thought it should be very clean, very precise, as clean as possible anyway, you know? And uh, more or less to the people, you know? Something they could understand, something that was beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. There's definitely there's stories and stories and stories that can be told in a musical idiom, you know? I mean, you wouldn't say 
I mean, it's so hard to describe music other than the basic way to describe it. Music is basically melody, harmony, and rhythm. But, I mean, people can do much more with music than that. It can be very descriptive in all kinds of ways, you know? All walks of life. Don't you agree, Paul? Yeah, and, and you always do have a story to tell. It's uh, one of the most impressive things about everything I've ever heard of yours. Well, that's more or less the object. That's what I thought it should be. Uh-huh. Another thing that, that's uh, uh, <clears throat> been a, a major factor in, in your playing is this fantastic technique that nobody's quite equaled. And I always wondered about that, too, whether there was, uh, whether that came behind practicing or whether that was just from, from playing, whether it evolved gradually. Well, um, you make it so hard for me to answer, you know, because uh, I can't see where there's anything fantastic about it at all. I put quite a bit of study into the horn, that's true. Mm-hmm. In fact, the neighbors threatened to ask my mother to move once when I was, when I was living out west. I mean, uh-huh. they said I was driving them crazy with the horn. I used to put in at least 11, from 11 to 15 hours a day. Yeah, that's, that's what I wondered. Well, that's true, yes. I did that for over a period of three or four years. Oh. Yeah. I guess that's the answer. Well, that's the facts anyway. (laughs) I I heard a record of yours uh, a couple of months ago that somehow I've missed up to date, and I heard a little uh, two-bar quote from the Close book. It was like an echo from home. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was all done with books, you know. Naturally, it wasn't done with mirrors. This time it was done with books. That's that's, uh, very reassuring to hear, because somehow I... I got the idea that you were just sort of born with that technique and you never had to worry too much about about keeping it working. You know, I'm very glad that he's bringing out this point because I think a lot of young musicians tend to think that... Yeah, they do. They just go out, necessary to do this. go out and make those sessions and live the life, but they don't put in that 11 hours a day with uh, any of the books. Oh, definitely. Study is absolutely necessary in all forms. It's just like any talent that's born within somebody. It's just like a good pair of shoes when you put a shine on it, you know? Uh, like uh, schooling brings out the polish, you know, of any talent that happens anywhere in the world. Einstein had schooling, <laughs> but he has a definite genius, you know, within, within himself. Uh, schooling is one of the most wonderful things there has ever been, you know? I'm glad to hear you say this. That's absolutely right. Parker worked on his craft and eventually began playing with local dance bands. By the end of the 1930s, Bird cut out of Kansas City and made his way to New York City. Over the following years, he traded ideas with other young musicians in the city and worked on developing a new approach to music, far from the danceable, agreeable swing music that was fashionable at the time. The music he pioneered came to be known popularly as bebop, hyper-fast, solo-oriented, small group music that prioritized virtuosity over accessibility. This next song is one of the earliest statements of the bebop aesthetic, Coco. Enjoy.
That was Perdido, performed by The Quintet at Massey Hall with Charlie Parker on alto, Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Bud Powell on piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Max Roach on drums. Before that was Ornithology, that's the study of birds, recorded in 1946 in Los Angeles, with Bird on alto, Miles Davis on trumpet, Lucky Thompson on tenor, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Arvin Garrison on guitar, Vic McMillan on bass, and Roy Porter on drums. And starting that set off was Coco with Parker on alto, Curly Russell on bass, Max Roach on drums for certain, and some combination of Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, and Sadiq Hakim on trumpet and piano. Accounts vary. I'm going to keep the music coming with another set of bebop gems, starting with a rendition of Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. Enjoy. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, a thing that uh, was originally written by the high priest of Bob Thelonious Monk, as done by Vern Dizzy, the fellas, round about midnight.
around about midnight, and I remember the year, I remember years ago when uh, Dizzy was playing.
That was My Melancholy Baby, where Parker's joined by Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Thelonious Monk on piano, Curly Russell on bass, and Buddy Rich on drums. Before that was Compulsion, from a Miles Davis compilation album called Collector's Items, with Miles on trumpet, Bird on alto, Sonny Rollins on tenor, Walter Bishop Jr. on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And starting that set off was Round Midnight from the album Summit Meeting at Birdland with Parker on alto, Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Bud Powell on piano, Tommy Potter on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. This next set of songs will focus on the softer side of Charlie Parker with some ballads, starting off with Out of Nowhere. Enjoy.
Thank you.
That was Parker's Mood with Parker on alto, John Lewis on piano, Curly Russell on bass, and Max Roach on drums. Before that was Everything Happens to Me from the album Charlie Parker with Strings with Parker on alto, Stan Freeman on piano, Ray Brown on bass, Buddy Rich on drums, and a half dozen string and horn players. And starting that set off was Out of Nowhere from November 1947 with Parker on alto, Miles on trumpet, Duke Jordan on piano, Tommy Potter on bass, and Max Roach on drums. An undeniable part of the life and legend of Charlie Parker is his copious use of drugs. Bird drank heavily and was severely addicted to heroin and used benzedrine quite frequently over the course of his career. While Bird's drug use was mythologized by a segment of his admirers, Hampton Hawes recalled that the opening of that last tune, Parker's Mood, was whistled on the streets in Los Angeles as a secret signal that you were looking to buy or sell heroin. It led to tremendous difficulties for him and ultimately hastened his death. Parker's life and career ended in 1955 when he was just 34 years old. The toll that hard living took on his body was so severe that the coroner who performed his autopsy reportedly said that he initially took Parker to be 50 or 60 years old. While in Los Angeles in the mid-1940s, Parker's substance abuse troubles reached a fever pitch and he was committed to Camarillo State Mental Hospital for about six months after trashing a hotel room and lighting the bedsheets on fire in a drug-fueled breakdown. Shortly after leaving the hospital, he recorded this next tune, Relaxing at Camarillo, bringing forth some beauty from a decidedly ugly situation. Enjoy. Thank you. 
And now, Gates, here's your chance to look before you leave. Hot from old New York and Colonel Blast and Silly at Billy Berg's standing room comes a nation's sensational new jazz trumpet star and his cohort, Dizzy Gillespie. Here's the thing I put down and, uh, and then recorded. The title of this is Sure Enough. Sure Enough. Thank you. 
basket. Thank you, Dizzy, Dozy, and Dozy. That was Shaw Nuff, recorded at NBC Studios in Los Angeles in 1945 with Parker on alto, Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Al Haig on piano, and Stan Levy on drums. Before that was Half Nelson by the Miles Davis All-Stars with Miles on trumpet, Bird on tenor, John Lewis on piano, Nelson Boyd on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And starting that set off was Relaxing at Camarillo, recorded in February 1947 in Los Angeles with Parker on alto, Howard McGee on trumpet, Wardell Gray on tenor, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Barney Kessel on guitar, Red Calendar on bass, and Don Lamont on drums. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the incredible music that Charlie Parker made over his short career. If you have any questions or comments or requests, you can email me at wnpmpod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Wednesday underscore jazz. Because Parker's career was essentially wholly before the age of long playing records, there don't really exist many long pieces that Parker performed. So I thought that instead I would use the end of the episode to share some tunes dedicated to Charlie Parker. The first is Gunslinging Bird, or If Charlie Parker Was a Gunslinger, There'd Be a Whole Lot of Dead Copycats by Charles Mingus, where Mingus is joined by John Handy on alto, Booker Irvin and Benny Golson on tenors, Jerome Richardson on baritone, Richard Williams on trumpet, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, Roland Hanna on piano, Teddy Charles on the vibes, and Danny Richmond on the drums. That will be followed by... Ode to Charlie Parker from the album Far Cry by Eric Dolphy with Dolphy on flute, Booker Little on trumpet, Jackie Bayard on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Roy Haynes on the drums. Enjoy.
Thank you.